There are certain moments and words that shaped a new era in pro wrestling. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Brett screwed Brett. Die, Rocky, die. Suck it! Introducing the Book of Wrestling, 25 catchphrases that explain the Attitude Era. Tune in as we relive one of the most exciting, intense, and over-the-top times in WWE with new interviews with the voices that made the promos, calls, and catchphrases into history. Listen now. It's the Full Go, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every, that's right, every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. Chicago everywhere. Check it. It's not enough Chicago. We just don't have enough Chicago people. Jason Goff is here. Well, I'm at Full Go. The Full Go Podcast. The Full Go. Bears, Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, and Blackhawks. Our man, Jason Goff. Three times a week with Jason Goff. His mood is elevated. <laughs> he is feeling good. Jason, I'm loving the Full Go. Love the Full Go. The Full Go. The Full Go. Welcome to Full Go with Jason Goff. That is what I'm talking about. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah. Hey, it's episode 86 of The Full Go Podcast, and the reason why you are hearing me start the episode like this is because somebody might have messed up on the old technical difficulty side, and that somebody is me. All right? So... Sit back, relax, and strap it down, as Hawk Harrelson would say, because you are about to hear me for a few minutes sound like I'm talking through a tin can. And then you'll hear Clinton Yates. So stick around. Enjoy it. You're welcome. Bulls Talk with Jason Goff on the full go. Flies in with a two-handed slam dunk. Brought to you by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Tonight was a weird night, man. Um... The team clinches a playoff spot, and they backdoored their way in. Uh, for all intents and purposes, the Orlando Magic beat the Cleveland Cavaliers while the Bulls game was happening. But by that point, it seemingly was a fait accompli. The, the Milwaukee Bucks are just an absolute machine, man. It's an absolute machine. And watching them and 
liking the way that they're flying beneath the radar in terms of all the noise in the Eastern Conference. There's a lot of talk about Brooklyn. There's a lot of noise about Philadelphia and, and what's happening with Doc Rivers and James Harden. Um, Miami Heat, I think, are just good enough and just solid enough to get beat by a team with a star. And that star might be Giannis Antetokounmpo. Not yet, might be, but it is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, there aren't many guys playing better than him, if any. Uh, he might be the best player in the league right now. And the Bulls ran up against that dude tonight. It was uh, something to watch. And it wasn't even like one of those Giannis earth-shaking games. It's just the gravitational pull of that dude when he's on the court is just eye-popping. And anytime I get a chance to watch Giannis, whether it be against the Bulls or anybody else in the league, you know, I, every once in a while, you, you, your eye leads you to what it's supposed to lead you to. And when he was drafted by the Milwaukee Bucks, and I got a chance to see him in summer league, and I, I, anybody that I could tell, whether it be local terrestrial radio or um, uh, people at the summer league in Vegas, um, I was like, that's mega Pippen. Like, that is going to be Scottie Pippen on roids, right? Like, Scottie Pippen with all the, the Monstar powers, right? And Scottie Pippen was one of the 50 greatest players, one of the 75 greatest players of all time. He's one of my favorite players of all time. And Scottie Pippen is top five for me all time in terms of what I liked watching in the game, the grace that he, with which he played, the defensive aspect, and just the playmaking forward ability, um, you know, was it Paul Pressey back in the day was kind of like one of those first point forwards that I was aware of as a kid, speaking of Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, and then Anthony Mason with the Knicks did a little bit of it. And now you've got forwards who are handling the ball at, at will and, and are leading offenses. You know, Luka Doncic is not a guard, right? Le- LeBron James isn't a guard. I don't care if you want to put him at point guard or whatever the case may be, but um, to watch Scottie Pippen play, the way that he played and come of age while Michael Jordan was becoming Michael Jordan. Um, it's the way I felt about Giannis, but the, the, the difference is Giannis didn't have that background of handling the ball and leading offenses and doing all those things. Like when Jason Kidd decided he wanted to throw the ball in Giannis's hands, that changed his game and forced him to explore uh, new ball handling capabilities that maybe he didn't know he had. And none of us knew he had, but man, Watching that dude play basketball, Scottie Pippen, Shaq. I mean, there's all different forms that he comes at you with. And as long as he is, as strong as he is, as and and I think we don't give him enough credit for um, how spatially intelligent he is. Like this dude has been doing this Euro step and this spin move uh, for a few years now. And he knows where to hit that that foot, right? He knows where to explode off of. He knows where to feel that bump and spin off of it. Like the the, the stuff that he does is uncanny. So you know, for anybody, and even for the people who used to say all oh, Shaq does is dunk, well, you, you don't see many three hundred pounds, seven foot two dudes, seven foot one dudes as nimble as him could catch the ball without looking at it one handed. I mean, he he had dances feet. So it's like when I see people compare Giannis to Shaq, I dig it. I understand because I understand once he's in that pain area, he's damn near unstoppable because of his length and how strong he is. But much like Shaq, uh, I don't think enough attention gets paid to how fluid he is and how athletic and agile he is. We see athleticism as somebody soaring through the air all the time, right? But I see athleticism when it comes to Giannis in a a guy who is converting speed to power in the drop of a dime. 
right? And and the first time I heard that um, kind of uh, scouting, uh, I guess, assessment made, right, was in football. I heard special teams guys talk about turning speed to power, especially in kick coverage. What you have to do is be the fastest guy down and then all of a sudden become a, a point of impact whether you're trying to blow up a wedge and this is back when wedges were allowed, or you're trying to make sure that you break down and, and strike a ball carrier who's in the open field, which is the hardest thing to do, turn the speed to power. I think Giannis does that on the basketball court. If you don't pick him up three quarters court and he gets a running start, he can, he can take two dribbles from, from foul line extended or three point arc and get to the paint in two steps and a dribble or two dribbles in a set and a step. So he is a force, man. And to watch this team play off of him, Drew Holiday has long been one of my favorite players in the NBA. And he's kind of like that guy that is, if everybody's calling you underrated, then you no longer are underrated. I think Drew Holiday has reached that point. It's kind of like Mike Conley back in the day when he was with the Grizzlies, where it was like, oh, look at this tough, gritty team. I'm like, nah, he's, he's pretty damn talented too, right? <laughs> That's just not assigned grit and hard work to him. He's talented as well, as well as being, uh, a, a, you know, a, a, a film guy. You could tell with Drew Holiday, that dude is attacking guys off hands, right? He's attacking guys steps where they, they want to be forced to a certain part of the defense. You know, Drew Holiday understands it. And, and I'm talking about the spatial awareness. Once again, that Milwaukee Bucks team, might be the best team in the Eastern Conference. And I don't think I'm going out on limb saying that they're the reigning champions. But at the same time, them getting Brooke Lopez back tonight. Brooke Lopez was dominant tonight. Brooke Lopez was damn dominant tonight. That game was over midway through that, I'd say, the, the beginning of that fourth quarter, end of that third quarter. The Bulls made a hell of a run. Derrick Jones Jr., Tristan Thompson, and DeMar DeRozan got out there and got busy. And, of course, DeMar DeRozan with his 40 you know, following up 50 the other night. Like, the man is uh, playing at a level that is um, something to behold. And if you're a Bulls fan right now, you know, I know, and, and I posted the, the Bulls clinch uh, board that we put up on NBC Sports Chicago during the post-game show, and immediately the Instagram comments and the Twitter comments went crazy. Oh, you got, you got beat by the Bucks. This is what happens. You're not going to beat anybody. It doesn't matter. And I would just tell you, as a Bulls fan, it's been five years since this team's made the playoffs. Of course, if you're a, a Bulls fan of any kind of age, and shout out to the younger folks out there listening to this pod, but if you're a Bulls fan of my age or a little bit younger, like you understand what the, the standard is. It's championships. But that's been so long ago. Like Since Michael Jordan has retired, the Bulls have been <laughs> one of the franchises. My home, my home girl, and my homeboy, Gucci and Lulu. They, they, they. You know, that's them telling me to take your time, Jay, because they feel like I'm about to preach right now. They think I'm about to go on a sermon. I, I understand, Gucci. I understand. I, with I, you, I they're know. with you. They feel you, Jay. They feel they, you. They, they heard me mm-hmm. getting to a point where I was getting ready to chastise the shit out of Bulls fans, right? So they, they wanted to say like, all right, now take your time, Jay. Everything's gonna be. Right. Either that or someone walked through the door and there's an intruder in the house. And the last thing you guys are going to hear is a bull's take from me. So hopefully that's not the case. That's um, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> actually, let me go make sure there's not an intruder and I'll get back to the point. Here, listen to some elevator music by Jesse Lopez for three or four seconds. And we're back. So as I was saying, um, 
Bulls fans haven't seen or felt this kind of relevance in a while. And it's something to be said for riding through lean years with a team. I have quit the Bulls at least once or twice in my life. Once very publicly on local <laughs> local sports radio where I just went on a rant. I actually remixed the only Bulls song. It's one of my finer moments in my career. Uh, but it's been a while. And if you are of my age, a little bit older, much older, or a little bit younger, you know how it's felt while waiting for this post-Rose, post-Butler era. The Jimmy Butler trade was a seemingly ages ago, but that was the last time these Bulls were in the playoffs. The three alphas era with Rose, I'm sorry, not Rose, wow, with Dwayne Wade, Jimmy Butler, and Roger Rondo. And we all know how that went. The rolling rebuild and all the other stuff that goes along with it. You trade Jimmy Butler to the Minnesota Timberwolves for what eventually became Lowry Marketing, the pick that became Lowry Marketing, Zach Levine, of course, Chris Dunn. You restarted your franchise. And five years later, you're finally reaping the benefits. You changed the front office. You're, it's funny because Zach Levine was, was like one of the, obviously one of the up and coming prospects and a guy who was coming off a knee injury. So the trade was looked at as like, okay, what's going to happen here? And then Zach plays well. People call him empty calories. I'm raising my hand, right? They, they offer him a deal. You say, how's this deal going to play out? He plays over and above and beyond the deal, especially the last year and a half, two years. He's getting ready to get some dough here. And uh, I, the knee is definitely an issue for people. Hell, it might be an issue for Zach. But the journey that these last five years have been for Bulls fans, because I am a Bulls fan, has been one where it's gone from apathy to, okay, let's see, to, all right, there's an executable plan here. There's architects in place to, oh, wow, look at this offseason. <laughs> they, they scrapped the developmental plan and, and all the other stuff about draft picks and said, to hell with it. We're going to give two first-rounders to Orlando, get Booch. We're going to sign a trade for Lonzo Ball. DeMar DeRozan all of a sudden is a bull. Derrick Jones Jr., come on down. Like, this thing got accelerated at such a pace here in the last year and a half that it makes you understand that your life as a Bulls fan has been charmed if you are my age. I spent every summer understanding that the team that was nearest and dearest to my heart in this city when it comes to basketball, obviously, because everybody's a Bears fan in the city, but the Bulls fans out here are a special tribe. They're a special community, right? All races, all ages, right? Because of what those Bulls teams were when I was a kid. So to see it and to see it come to fruition in such a short amount of time, too, like some may say this team is a year ahead of schedule, but the way it looked at the All-Star break when they were tied for the, <laughs> the lead in the Eastern Conference, people were like, oh, is this the surprise of the NBA? Injuries, defensive inadequacies, poor play, uh, a league kind of counteracting or counterpunching what DeMar DeRozan has been doing for 60 some odd games going into the All-Star break. It feels a lot different than it should on a night like this when we're talking about the Bulls making the playoffs for the first time in five years. It feels a lot different than it... it, it, it the beginning of the year when I said they could finish anywhere from four to six, 
They're six right now, and they've got like a 75%, 80% chance that they're going to stay in this sixth spot with the schedules of Toronto and some of the other teams that, that uh, are ahead of them in the Eastern Conference. But if I'd have told you, yeah, the Bulls are going to be sixth place, you'd be like, all right, this is a step forward. And in this time, when you get new information and you start to see Lonzo Ball, you know, do Lonzo Ball stuff, right? Like push the ball ahead, defend at a, at a, at a very high NBA level. Alex Caruso is the guy that everybody thought they were going to root for in the, for the reasons and in the way that they were going to root for. Like Alex Caruso, there's never been a more ready-made player for Chicago to root for than Alex Caruso. He's a bald white guy who's quote-unquote sneaky athletic but does a lot of really cool shit and, and busts his ass out there. And he's a champion. So this was locked and loaded as being, okay, this is going to be a fun season, man. This, the Bulls might be something. DeMar DeRozan, you know, Ryan Russillo and, and, and a lot of people out here. And shout out to Ryan because I know he gets a lot of grief for this as being one of the faces of the DeMar DeRozan is a bad fit uh, brigade. And DeMar DeRozan has gone out and, and shown you that he's still got a lot left in the tank. But also some of the, some of the things that we've seen defensively that people talk about with DeMar have been on, on display, right? Some of the volume shooter stuff that people were worried about. DeMar went on a terrifically, uh, uh, an absolutely ridiculous, um, hot, hot couple of months there where he was shooting in the high 40s, if not 50%, as a volume shooter and volume scorer. So his game got taken to another level. Expectations get ramped up again. MVP chance start going out. And then all of a sudden, the young guys that you started to count on or were, were counting on going into that um, started to hit the rookie wall in Io DeSumo. Uh, mistakes were being made. Kobe White became uh, a lot more inconsistent than he probably should be at this point of his career if you're counting on him to be a playoff factor, right? But they had to count on so many different guys to get to this point. The Tyler Cooks of the world, right? This, the, uh, the Malcolm Hills of the world. Like these guys were getting real minutes in NBA games because of how many lineups had to change because of injury and health and safety protocols. So if I had to wrap this thing up in a, in a nice little bow for you and, and said, this is what your 2021-2022 Bulls season is going to look like, you'd say, okay, that's a good start. But as we're sitting here potting tonight after a 21-point loss to the Milwaukee Bucks and you're staring, was it 0-18 in the face? the top three teams or top four teams in the Eastern Conference that you faced off against this year, the disparity between the Bulls and the best teams in the league and the best teams, especially in the Eastern Conference, is noticeable. So as we sit here on clinch night, boy, does that sound horrible. But as we sit here on clinch night, <laughs> as we're podding here tonight on clinch night, geez, Louise, don't put that in any searches, by the way. Be careful out there, kids. It feels cool that the Bulls are going to be playing the basketball that the bad teams don't get a chance to, that the teams that people aren't supposed to care about don't get a chance to. feels like the Bulls got allowed back into a club that they haven't been to in a while. And we all know what happens when the person who hasn't been in the club in a full while gets back in the club for that one night only or that, that, that good feeling to come back. They tear up the damn club. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's that old married dude that you go out with, like, all right, man, we're gonna we're gonna go out for a second and, and hang out. And he goes out there and he's in his, you know, his, his his fleece and his dockers and his loafers and making you and your table look bad. He, you know, he don't know how to converse with anybody of the opposite sex. Like you gotta put him back in the car, like, whoo, 
you ain't coming back here with me ever again. It's the reason why you got up out the club. I hope the playoffs don't treat the Bulls like that, but <laughs> but I am as a Bulls fan enthused in this moment because you get a chance to see Zach Levine play playoff basketball. This is very important to that young man. Very important to him. And you get a lot of experience, or some experience, I should say, maybe, for uh, for some young players like Kobe White and Patrick Williams. Things that will be invaluable as they go forward. Understanding the level that they have to play at. I would assume is going from NCAA tournament runs and, and, and Big Ten Player of the Year accolades to now rookie point guard in the rotation for an Eastern Conference playoff team. These kinds of experiences, these kinds of lessons, you know, listening to Kendall Gill and Will Purdue talk about their first playoff games. Like, Kendall Gill played for the Charlotte Hornets in that series that Alonzo Mourning hit the shot against the Boston Celtics. That was his first playoff series. That was the end of Larry Bird as we know it in that Boston Celtics era. Of course, the, the unfortunate passing of Reggie Lewis, like all those things happen in these moments where those, those first playoff forays are very um, seismic. They're very important, not just for the experience, but sometimes in history. So let's see if these Bulls can make some history. I, I think they're going to have a tough matchup any way it goes. These next few games we'll talk about on the next couple of pods. Of course, they're going to have like a nice little week to get healed up and rested up. But for me, it's the Boston Celtics or bust because the Bulls have troubles matching up against what I believe is the best team right now in the Eastern Conference and Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, the Miami Heat grinds them out in, in terms of the discipline that they have and the way that they defend guys like Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan. And the Philadelphia Six, 76ers have Joel Embiid, who's never lost to this team in his entire NBA career. He's not just a bad matchup for the rest of the NBA because of the, the league-leading scorer, obviously, but he's just an awful matchup for the Bulls, especially, especially when we talk about that pick-and-roll defense. So the, the Boston Celtics are it. One of the hottest men in the NBA and Jason Tatum, one of the hottest teams over the last month or so, month and a half in the Boston Celtics, that would probably be the best matchup. I thought it three weeks, a month, a month and a half ago. I still think it, even with the way that Jason Tatum is performing. So Bulls fans, it's okay to feel good about this team clinching a playoff spot, even though Orlando had to do it for them. And even though the, the play has been spotty as of late, not just as of late, over the next tw- over the last 25 games or so, the play has been average at best. So there's a large enough sample size for you to be skeptical of this first round or whatever matchup uh, they, they end up figuring out. But in the end, it's good to have this team be relevant again. But it's also okay to examine what can happen next time. And we haven't even completed this time, but it's also okay to, to identify weaknesses and feel how you're supposed to feel because now is when it starts. Now when the expectations kick in and the target is on your back and people are not okay or just okay about getting to a playoff series, that's when the real shit starts. That's when the real joy of fandom starts to kick in the nervousness the anxiety of okay i know this is a weakness and somebody's going to exploit it so how do you go into the offseason trying to address that weakness we're going to learn all of that after this playoff run but at least we got a playoff run to understand and learn more about this team going forward time for some commercials this episode is brought to you by ug y'all know ug is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days well 
I bet you think Ugg season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from Ugg. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. Ugg has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at Ugg.com. Hey guys, this is Ozzy Guille and you are listening to the full go with Jason Goff on the ringer in a Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen who are listening to this episode of the Forgo Podcast, this is the type of shit that I have to usually deal with with this man. This man is a ball of energy and he he is a, he is, if the alpha male thing really was a thing and it existed because it's already been debunked by the person who actually came up with the term, but if the, the alpha male, I am here so you could feel the energy, I am here so you can have a better experience at life. If that was a person, ladies and gentlemen, it would come in the form of ESPN columnist, ESPN host, ESPN radio, ESPN everything, and 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 and, and the blackest damn man that I know, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Clinton Yates joining the Full Go podcast. After we get all that other bullshit out the way, what's up with you, man? How you doing? I'm good, man. To quote the great young buck of the iconic <laughs> group G Unit, I just pull up, get out. <laughs> And get all the pros. All right. So I'm just, I'm just, just, <laughs> oh, no, no, just you can't. Listen, that's, listen. That's, that's a large part of my off. <laughs> that, that's part of the package. That's part of the yes, package. That is my part man. Of the we run that well. So. Oh, my God. All right. So, like I was saying before, uh, before we got rudely interrupted by technology and before uh, Jesse and Steve cut out that previous two minutes of conversation that we were just having, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, writers, and fans of baseball are two subsects of our industry and culture that I have the most respect for. And it's because I don't feel like I have or ever will hit the level of mastery, of understanding, of the nuances, and also, you know, both crafts. Being a baseball fan and being a writer takes a certain amount of um, in-depth uh, vulnerability, understanding like what makes you tick, why things are beautiful, why parks are different, why, like I'll never forget you and I having a conversation, brother, about um, the Major League Double Play and how mundane it looks now and how, you know, a, a body-to-body dunk or a 60-yard touchdown pass is the boom play. Right. But the fact that the athlete, athleticism in, the, in Major League Baseball has taken such a jump with a lot of these kids from the, the Latin countries and a lot of these kids from, you know, playing baseball all year round in California and Texas, like the little things that you can spot and the nuances and the beauties of the game that you can appreciate is one of the reasons. And, you, you know, you a dope dude in my book. Like, I appreciate your energy, but it's one of the reasons why I always gravitate towards you, not just during these times, but I think it permeates through your, your thoughts and how you view other sports as well, because you're not scared to shit on the other sports for what they right. are because you love what you love. And I appreciate right. that about you, brother. Well, thank you. And I, I think I think one of the examples of that that'll work very well for your audience is Javi Baez. I, I, people, people forget, people don't know this. Javi Baez is left-handed. Like, he bats right, he throws right. Also LeBron shit. (laughs) He eats food with his left hand. He writes with his left hand. He is, in fact, doing all of that switch, as we call it, in the skateboard world. And, like, 
Stuff like that affects his ability to tag plays and make fielding plays and stuff like that. And I think that there's so much more to what baseball is, not just from a product of of MLB on down, but just the game, man. We talked about this a lot. When you were a kid, your boy, I can't remember his name, he introduced you to baseball when y'all were younger. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, my man, my man Laplace. Yeah, he was in Little League and I couldn't, I I wasn't in Little League. So I'm like, God damn. You weren't there yet. And that's (laughs) where I think that people who are fans of the sport, they get too caught up in trying to be the dude at the bar who knows more about some stat. It's like, dude, nobody cares about that. The game itself is really fun. If you get your butt out there and play it or try to play it or see people play it at a level where not everybody's that good, it gives you a much bigger appreciation for what happens on the big league level. And just another quick example I'll use of that. I wrote a story from the Bahamas about the home run derby in the Bahamas. And I was, I brought my kid brother with me. He was a high school baseball player. He was all right. Um, You know, he played right field on his JV team. He just liked playing the game. And as Mm -hmm. soon as we got there and they had the kids clinic, he was just like, damn, these kids throw different. You know what I mean? Like just the whole, everything was just noticeable. And I implore people who are fans of baseball to not worry so much about the laundry on the front or even the back of the jersey, but just watch the game for what the dudes do and the ladies who play as well. You're un- you're going to end up liking more than you think was actually there to begin with. Yeah, and you and, and my girl Shakia here in the city. And yeah, I there's saw a lot, Shake there's a lot. out here last week, by the way. Shouts to Shake. We like hey, Shake. Hey, listen, I did a, I did a, I did a, uh, uh, a, a little piece with Shake. Uh, she interviewed me about Harold's Chicken and, and the culture and how it's affected us here in the city. And nice. uh, she was like, "I gave I gave her the best story because I gave her a story about someone who was eating Harold's Chicken in the parking lot with that probably shouldn't have been eating Harold's Chicken in the parking lot with me." Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that dropping in the eater. Shout out to Shake. Um, <laughs> you know, stylistically too, <laughs> stylistically too, bro. Like regionality in game. Like I remember I grew up in a hip hop era where you understood, like you heard a West Coast song and you're like that. I know where that's from. You heard a a song from the South, you know, now with the drill scene and everything like the South changing the way everything sounds and how all those beats are, are, are kind of the state of rap music and to go searching and digging and finding some of that old school vintage stuff. That stuff has become new again, stylistically. Is there has there been a homogenization of baseball in a way where um, now that we're seeing some of these breakout athletes or breakout personalities, um, it, it's such a shock to the system that we see guys and in, in, in running around doing things that we didn't see before the Jose Bautista bat flip? Yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of that. And I think there, there's something historically I want to explain as to why that is. So. When the first strike of my lifetime happened that I can remember, which was in 93 when they lost the World Series, here's what happened in terms of how rosters and salaries changed in Major League Baseball. Suddenly, it became smarter, at least in their minds, for owners to spend more money on established stars or prospects. What that meant was the middle-range guy who made $5 million to just kind of hang around and be a bit of a coach on the field or be a bat off the bench or be a defensive sub who had known who they were as a player and had established themselves, that player went away. A lot of those players were brothers. That's a sidebar element of this. But the way that players hung around the league, it just changed from you do it this way because this is what gets you paid or Mm -hmm. you're a flash in the pan and if it doesn't work out, then you're gone. You see what I'm saying? And so the idea of, the player who was established doing what they were doing, who had come up in a way that wasn't uh, 
that was rewarded. You see what I'm saying? That kind of went away. But I think that as the game got younger from a fan standpoint via, via the internet, I think more people were just like, you know what? We're not just going to look for guys who have mustaches and big butts to go out there and hit 35 homers and then <laughs> run back to the dugout. That just that lost its appeal for the person who was the the coveted marketed person for sports. You see what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, no mm-hmm. longer is the person who likes that the person who's spending the most money. So right. as a result, scouting things change, perceptions change of who's good. Speaking of the Bahamas, Jazz Chisholm is a guy that I'm thinking of. Most people say blue haired dude who's playing a little bit of set, you know what I mean? A little bit of infield out here. Like, give it to me. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? But you and I say yes to that. 10 years ago, that's not happening. And so mm-hmm. I think there's sort of a cultural homogenization that through sports has affected baseball a lot more, even if before baseball itself was a little too homogenized, if that makes sense. The Latino ball player, and I hope I'm saying that correctly. Correct me if I'm wrong, because uh, I don't want to, you know. No, go on. It, okay. Uh, the Latino ball player and the, the you mentioned the, the shrinking class of the black um, athlete in black American, major, athlete, yeah. black, black American athlete in major league baseball. What is that relationship like between those two subsets of baseball culture and not even subsets now, because, you know, the Latino yeah. ball player is the, you know, the dominant player in major league baseball these days in terms of what you see numbers wise and, and how, um, you know, I remember when you, there used to be a saying like, you can't walk off the island. And it made, it, I used to always think like, God damn, like, so there's no, <laughs> there's no keen eyes in right. San Pedro de Macaris. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. you, know, you just got to swing from the hips. And now we've gotten to the point where you see the Fernando Tatis Juniors of the world waving the dreads around. You see, shit, Johnny Cueto just got signed by the White Sox. Like, you see the Afro-Latino um, influence, not just in music and in culture. And I always wonder, what is that? relationship like within major league baseball so it's interesting you bring that up in terms of major league baseball i would say the place you actually see more of that bonding is professional baseball that's not at the big league ranks that's a place where baseball lives in a very interesting space because frankly more ball players who are from places that are not just white America end up playing professional ball and probably don't make it to the big leagues. But these Mm -hmm. become the people that teach the game and that are in the game at levels on up and, you know, still there in terms of education. And I always said my favorite place to hear reggaeton music was a double A ballpark because (laughs) the brothers who were at those late ages and at those levels trying to shine like that always had the heaters. And like, (laughs) it's funny to think about too, because I think that there's a lot more linkage that has happened because of the language of baseball has expanded in a lot of ways. You think about how academies now teach kids to speak English and they teach a lot of players to speak Spanish too. people who, if they want to, can do that. I think that the connectivity culturally on the globe has made the relationship between a lot of Latino players and a lot of black players much, much better Mm -hmm. because a lot of them have realized at the end of the day, they still ain't them. You see what I'm saying? So I think of guys like an Eddie Perez, um, who played with a bunch of brothers and other, you know, uh, he's the broadcaster for ESPN, a bunch of other guys. These guys are still friends on a real level. I think that it happens a lot more, you know, just in a real human sense than it does in anything you see on the field in terms of like, Ooh, we got our thunder and lightning Negro and Latino setup. You know what I mean? You're never (laughs) going to see that. You know what I mean? That's not going to be part of it. But then at the same time you get like, I can't, you know, you get guys who are, 
you know, like you just mentioned, your man Lubob is a guy who comes to come comes to comes to dark horse goal. MVP, baby. Just keep yeah, him on know, the field. Like, these dudes are undeniably Latino and undeniably black, you know. And I think the general's kind of reckoning we've had about identities has really helped all of this. And I think that includes white players as well who don't want to feel like they have to be ostracized from one another because they're not the cool ones. Everybody's there playing baseball. And if everybody feels like they can be a part of it, you know what I mean, then it's more fun, which is always the point that I try to make to people. People are always like, oh, well, you know, if we do it this way, everybody's going to be pitted against each other. I'm like, no, you've obviously never played on a sports team. When you get along, it's way more fun and everybody's better. This is obvious. And another important thing I think is, uh, is definitely worth mentioning it's not just the guys who are okay with being themselves. Like, if you're the baseball police, fine. But the guys like Bryce Harper and the other dudes who are like, oh, by the way, I'm a different kind of white guy or I'm just the same kind of white guy. It just depends because we're not a monolith the same way these black and Latino players are a monolith, which is all different kind of people enjoying the game in the style and fabric and texture that we have learned to do it through our personality instead of, you know, because I think hockey runs into that still into this new age of oh, yes. like, there's a bunch of party boys running around out there on the ice and you got to be quiet and always remember your time in Moose Jaw or Saskatchewan or some shit like that. Like, dude, enjoy your damn life. You're millionaires playing the game that you want love. Like, be Ray Ordonez. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. do, do all the shit that you wanted to do in the backyard out there as long as you're talented enough to do it and got the opportunity. I, I just don't it's, get it, man. It's, it's wild, too, because, you know, running in the former players, that's where you really see a lot of that old grizzled beef where you're just like oh man and they will tell you like this isn't a good feeling you talk to former players who say i don't go to baseball games because it reminds me too much of a hellish period in my life that's insane to me you would never want anybody to come out of your league and turn around and say i can't attend anymore because the right. ptsd is too intense that's terrifying to me so you're right bryce harper is one example um, I think the guys like Boba Shett, you know what I'm saying, who got a little swag too. And it's also just and all of the Seattle Mariners because oh, apparently they are the Seattle Monarchs out here. Bro. We are we are out Bro. here shining. In they Seattle. had 15 <laughs> brothers on their team at one point. Two I, years I, ago. I I was wondering if that shit was allowed. Like Yo. I was like, you gotta go, y'all gonna get relegated. Y'all keep fucking around with all this. <laughs> No, I actually got to get up there for to check them out. But like, let's get it. Just, let's get it this summer. This summer. This summer. Let's me and you. Let's let's go to a Seattle Mariners game. Yeah, I'm down. I'm down. Because it's one of those things, too, where it's like the exceptionalism of America comes through really hard in baseball because it's the assumption is, well, if we change anything from those people being in control, it'll be chaos and nobody will like it. I'm like, no, 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 no. All over the globe, everybody else is already mingling because, like, that's the cool part. You know what I'm saying? And, like, mm -hmm. breaking that barrier is almost harder than anything that has to do with baseball itself. It's weird. All right, so I mentioned the AL West and the Seattle Mariners. Yes. Um, the AL East, people think that there's four teams in there that could win 90-plus games. Uh, what right now is the, the, the storyline that you're, you're hot on going into opening day? For the AL East, I think Toronto is still just such a great story because of the lineage factor. They've got a mm -hmm. Biggio. They've got a Bichette. They've got a Guerrero. Like, sorry. That'll get you through the door. Never mind the offseason moves that they made in terms of trying to get better. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I really, really like. I, this is going to sound wild, but like I think that the Dodgers are in one of the more unique positions of any sports team in a long time. They're okay. coming into the season 
arguably looked at as the best team, kind of obviously. But like at the same time, I don't think anybody's going to be shocked if they don't win the World Series. But that's also like I can't think of the last time that a team was this many, this good odds-on favorite that also wasn't the previous champion. You see what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. the Braves are getting better, even though they lost Freddie Freeman and he went to the Dodgers. So there's a lot at the top that I like. I think the Braves are criminally underrated. I think the Yankees are very overrated. I don't like how many righties they have in their lineup. Um, I think the White Sox can be fun. And I'm honestly, I really hope the Padres get it together because that team is well-balanced with a lot of characters, but they can't get Tatis on the field that much. Right, it's right. It's tough. So I want to ask you this. Soto, yeah. Otani, uh, Harper, we've talked about, you know. Harper's uh, not on this list. I know what you're going to ask. I'm asking you. Best player in Mookie Betts, best player in baseball right now. Best player in baseball right now is probably Trout. Soto. Probably Soto. Soto. In terms of this, the old, if I'm starting a team today, I'm starting with Soto. He's younger. He's got more pop. He's got a flair for the game that I like, and not just because he played for the Nationals. And I put him above Fernando Tatis Jr. because he's a little bit more responsible. And I don't just mean on the field, rather off the field. I mean on the field, too just in terms of the plays he makes, and he keeps himself a little bit more in games. Tatis is a little reckless for me, even though that's what we enjoy. Um, Otani, the thing about Otani is that, like, he's doing something nobody's ever done. So it's hard for me to say that somebody's better than he is because right. it's not really about that. It's like, well, nobody else is throwing wild screwballs at 98, you know what I'm saying, and then turning around and competing in the home run derby. So... There's so many different skill sets that are brought to the table. As far as a traditional so-called baseball player, though, I think it's got to be Juan Soto. I think he's going to command upwards of $500 million when he comes up. Damn, half a billion for a baseball player. Billy God bless. Half a billion. God bless America. Uh, I, the Otani piece is very interesting to me because him, like you mentioned, doing something that nobody else is doing and at doing all. it at a high level, right? Right. I look at Nikola Jokic in the NBA and it's predominantly black league. And I look at the people who are like, yeah, but you know what? Giannis is better. Oh, but Kevin Durant is better. Oh, but Joel Embiid is better. And it's like, I feel you, but what he's doing is special too. And whatever's happening in the West is happening in the West, but it's it's a different dynamic, obviously. But when a, not just a white player, but a, a, a foreign-born player is the best player in the NBA or in that conversation. You see the chatter and how it makes people comfortable and uncomfortable. When it comes to Otani and being a, a, a Japanese baseball player dominating damn near since he set foot and, and been healthy in, in Major mm-hmm. League Baseball, uh, what is the chatter around him in terms of what's comfortable, what's uncomfortable, what baseball fans are getting used to? Are we in such an advanced and progressive age that there is no difference in delineation of how people uh, approach his game or approach him being the best player in the game? Like what, what's, what's orbiting Shohei Otani in terms of conversation? There's two things on that. There's what's orbiting in terms of the conversation of people who act like they like baseball and basically use it as a reason to criticize what it's not versus what it used to be. And then there's the people who have actually been around Shohei Otani. And you can see full-blown, mega-worldwide superstar. Not a question. I was at the All-Star game when he was there, and it wasn't just because of the phalanx of Japanese media. He was up against Juan Soto in the first round of that home run derby. He got knocked out, half the stadium left. Okay, like this is the home run derby at the all-star game. 
the 25,000 people were just like, oh, Otani's not here anymore. <laughs> like, which is nuts to me. And the second time I saw him was at the Little League World Series where they played the, the Little League World Series Classic. Uh, Cleveland played the Angels. And I got, you know, they let all the kids come to the tournament. I mean, every kid was just staring at him. You know what I mean? And he was just moving about. He's like a superhero. It, it's, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people don't want to admit that because they think that there's just kind of a, I, I don't even know how to explain it. They think there's some sort of, you know, Asian mystique or whatever. Right, like, right, right. No, he's just really, really good at this. And June Lee talks about this a lot in terms of the inability to relate to the non-American stars, something that holds a lot of people back. But I just, mm-hmm. I feel like now we've got that separation. But we, we know what's going on with some of these folks. You know what I'm saying? So those voices have been filtered off, you know, into kind of a different space. And you mentioned Shakia. I've mentioned June. So many people in Chicago, by the way, brothers that are talking about baseball these days. I've Lawrence selected Holmes. myself. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Loho obviously is in the building. I've self-selected myself away from those voices for the most part. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I just don't interact with that because I don't have time for that. And there's too much other stuff there. Flatly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, no, yeah. no doubt. No doubt. You're going to run up on me talking about, about he's good for an Asian player. You're going to find me leaving the room. Oh, you know, so. oh, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah, with, a, with a couple of uh, colorful words on the way right. out, probably, too. <laughs> exactly. No doubt. As, exactly. as, as, as deserved. Uh, we wrapping it up here with you, and I appreciate your time, my brother. Um, no doubt. PitchCon and sign stealing. Advanced. <laughs> elect, uh, you know, this. I, I don't want to be the old man out here, but I don't know how it's not a distinct advantage when a guy can go in and say, you know what, I, I have more confidence when a guy is behind me at second and I know exactly what I'm going to throw because I don't have to mess around with it because we're, we're, we're talking through uh, comms. And we all know uh, a pitcher with confidence who throws the wrong pitch is better than a pitcher who throws the right pitch with no confidence. Right. Like the, the psychological part of this game, not even the sign stealing part to me, like I think it's going to affect and influence some things. And I'm looking forward to how it does. I'm not. Um, no. And here's here's why. Here's why. No, but here's here's why. Because I think that the core part of the game that I like is a part that happens in the interaction between pitch signals, defensive positioning on the infield, base running, and batting. I and, and that's what I'm saying. I'm with you on like I, I well, think on, I think it's I, gonna. I I think that what it's going to do. I don't necessarily know that it's going to have that application as quickly as you think. Now. Do I think that there's some value added in speeding up that process? Yes. But I also think there's a lot lost in chemistry. Like the whole reason why you get on the same page with your signals as infielders, never mind as a battery connection, is that that's how you learn your teammates and their tendencies and what they do. And so what happens the first time you shake a guy off with the robo calls? Like, Okay, I'm just gonna press it again. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's mm. it, like that interaction is what makes the game the game. And this sort of dovetails with the conversation about robo umps, which is to me, you don't want umps blowing calls. Get better umps. I don't need computers telling me what should happen here. So, like, if your signs are getting stolen due to technology, either eliminate the technology or get better signs. I don't need to add more technology because that takes away from the part of the game that I specifically enjoy. Is it going to speed some things up? Maybe. 
but you never know how it's going to go when guys get crossed up or in major situations when they just say, F the signs, we're going back to this anyway, because Lord knows what's going to happen with some earpiece when some guy in Arizona <laughs> has his ham radio and he hacks into the White Sox bullpen phone because they got all these daggone signals going out all over the place. I mean, I know I sound ridiculous, but like nah. that's kind of what it feels it's like. Plausible though, you we know what I'm the saying? Astros. <laughs> I'm like, right? I'm like, bro, you're right here. I'm right here. They're right here. We can just figure it out with our fingers and our faces. That's what they've been doing for a hundred years, and that's the fun part on some level. As a developmental baseball player, when you get to a team that like the sign situation changes to the point where you've got to go home and study it, that's like a point of of, of achievement. You know, yeah, there's discipline. Saying? Yeah, to eliminate that for the sake of worrying about somebody cheating doesn't make sense to me. Like, that's not the way I would want to build my team camaraderie, never mind trying to gain a competitive advantage. So I see what you're saying from a pitcher standpoint, but it affects too much else of the other team for me to dive all the way into that, especially at the big league level in the regular season. Oh, now you got me. Oh, so this is why I fuck with you. Now you got me thinking about a voicemail question now about the, the, the technology that you would like to roll back that would make the sport that you love better. Like That's a good things, question. Yeah, because... This, I, the, all the things that I was thinking of and the things that you have now entered into the conversation, I, I, I'm intrigued and fascinated how a sport that does not do this, it doesn't evolve the way that the other sports evolve because it doesn't, frankly, have to. Like the NFL every right. year could be like, hey, by the way, touchdowns are worth five points. People would bitch for two weeks and then they'd be like, oh, shit, we got to change point spreads, fantasy, right. dip, fantasy, you know what I'm saying? Like it's part of the religion. Whereas right. baseball is like, hey, y'all, you know what baseball is? Baseball is the garage band that don't know that they've made it and, and, and won't play the big arenas because they're scared it. they won't sell it out. You know right. what I mean? Uh, you right. might not fill it up, but you're going to get 37000 Like, go ahead and take those jumps because the motherfuckers that are with you are going to be with you and all you can do is gain new fans. And I think this new player revolution in terms of swag and just style and incorporating how they truly are off the field, on the field, I think they're busting through and doing it for the gatekeepers and the people of yesterday year who aren't ready for that evolution it's kind of like a, a cross purposes that baseball's still dragging itself through so when yeah. a move like this happens i'm like yo it's it's all of a sudden it's the jetsons out here I, you know <laughs> i see what you're saying and that 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 does make sense but i still think and this is something that sounds groundbreaking to some people the biggest problem major league baseball never mind the sport has is trying to market things that aren't the game like mm. you can do that but don't do it at the cost of literally teaching people how to play and literally teaching people to like what gameplay looks like. You know what I'm saying? That is yeah. ultimately what gets people to the field is that they like actual baseball. It doesn't have to be the only thing. They don't have to be weird purists about it. If all you ever want to do is watch guys make diving stabs at second base, that should be an available channel to you. You know what I'm saying? You should not have to be force-fed all a bunch of other stuff. There's too much content left on the table in Major League Baseball, in my opinion. And this is another one of those things. I don't need machines to do the job that the guy can do because I like watching the guy do the job. You know what I'm saying? Like, And, that's and the sometimes I like I watching it poorly. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? And it's like, hey, that happens. You know? And so it's a hard balance because there's these people that have hijacked the world who think that exactness and accuracy are the only thing anybody cares about. That's not true. You know what I'm saying? Like plenty of people just want to have a good time. They know everybody's got a job to do. If they don't do it, oh, well, get somebody who can. I don't need to go full iRobot on baseball in order to enjoy it. <laughs> 
y'all. That's the Will Smith reference, y'all. I went there. Be careful. Be careful out here. As we wrap it up with you, CY, I appreciate you, man. Um, no doubt. Best day of your career, worst day of your career? Best day of my career was probably, and this isn't best, best in the way that you might think it is, but when I turned 40 years old about a year ago, about a year to, year and two weeks ago, I was on the panel with Around the Horn with Jackie McMullen. And she said, are you at where you think you'd be at at 40? And I said, I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that after this TV show, I'm going to go write a segment for SportsCenter about baseball uniforms. And then after that, I'm going to go do local drive in the second biggest market in America. So we're good. You know what I'm saying? I don't <laughs> yes, know sir. if it's about one day. It's about the availability of being able to do what it is that I like. Worst day of my career, probably when I really realized I had kind of outgrown my local market. And I know this touches a nerve. You yeah, know what I'm saying? But man. like, there's some things when you just look around and you go, yeah, nah, y'all ain't got it. And I don't mean that about anybody in specific. It's as much about, frankly, the success of the teams and the people running those squads that I was just like, this is what flies here. I've been looking at this my whole life. You finally get around the country a little bit more. You start to see some operations that are running smoothly, never mind better, never mind classily, never mind with excellence. And you just think to yourself, I can't do this. This ain't, this, this is not going to work. You know what I'm saying? And so that, that was a good six months of my life where I had to really make the decision, am I leaving my home market? And I did. And I think a lot of people, you know, are happy and proud for me of it. And uh, that's no knock on anybody there, but that's a tough realization, man. When you realize the things you came up with really ain't necessarily always the best. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, let me tell you something, man. In the short time that I've known you and become not just uh, an industry friend, because there's a lot of those around here, yeah. and we and those are appreciated too, right? Right. Um, because everybody's got their slots in your life. Uh, right. But as an actual friend, uh, I've been able to yeah. tell you some some very real moments in my life and share with you some joys and some pains, and I and I hope that you feel like you've been able to do the same. Uh, you are a true inspiration, my guy, because every time you're on television, every time you write something, every time you're in any kind of, of sphere where you are exposed and being your true self, there's a lot of kids out here who are thinking, damn, Clinton Yates is just like me and I could be just like him. So well, that's, that shit that's means what something, I do bro. it for, brother. And I appreciate that. Couldn't do it without you and so many other people. And let me tell y'all something. Listen. If you see me and golf in the streets, uh -oh. don't just pull up acting like it's sweet. All right. <laughs> you don't know how we're rolling. All right. Yeah. yeah. Don't and just that, walk up talking that loud noise like you think you're on the radio or on take, TV. Take it easy. Take it easy. Clinton, right. take it easy. Take, I understand <laughs> I'm what you're saying. saying and I know what you're referring to. We I'm all a good. nice guy. All we right. all good. I'm, we all good. And tell, tell Shorty from Harvey I said what's up. Yeah. <laughs> I love you, man. I got you. Go. I, lo I love you too, bro. I'll talk to you soon. So, Rudy. Jesse, I love your team. I'm getting out of here. All right. <laughs> Clint Thank Yates you, on the Full Go podcast with Jason Goff. We'll be back with more of the Full Go with Jason Goff after a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kids' education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. 
Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. As an addendum, Lonzo Ball, the reports of Lonzo Ball missing the rest of this season. I mean, there's nothing that Bulls fans or there's nothing that Bulls observers like myself uh, haven't kind of seen coming, right? He hasn't played since mid-January, late January, being off the runway for that long and then being reevaluated after the time that you're supposed to, to have supposed to have been out for six to eight weeks and then you can't sprint and then you get the second reevaluation after resting that thing for 10 more days and you have discomfort. Like, it's okay. It's okay to shut Lonzo Ball down and say, this wasn't the season. This, this wasn't, I mean, obviously you got the glimpses of what this team was and could be when Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso were in the backcourt. Now you go forward and understand that he's not going to be a pl- part of this playoff equation. And you, you're not telling yourself, if we just get to the playoffs, we can, we can add Lonzo Ball back. I thought it was going to be a long shot. Uh, and obviously there's nothing that's final, but yeah, you, you can't expect the guy who, who is having discomfort after a couple of stops in, in rehabilitation and rest. You can't expect that guy to get on the runaway with the best point guards and the best guards in the NBA who are primed for playoff basketball where the intensity and everything is kicked up another notch. Yeah, you can't expect that. That, that is unlikely, unreasonable, and unfair. So I hope Lonzo Ball rests up, gets better for next year, because what the questions that are obviously going to come from around the NBA is you're going to have 200 and 60, 270 plus million dollars in questionable knees going into your backcourt into the future for the next two years at least, right? Because Lonzo's, I believe, a three and an option. Uh, and, and the good thing about that, and it, it might sound um, callous or uh, too sports fanny, but Ayo Dusumu and how terrific and how much of a steal of the draft he's been, that's the kind of guy who you hope when you do have to pay him early because of his outstanding play in his first two years in league after next year, that you could just slide into that position of, okay, if Lonzo Ball's knee is not what it's supposed to be two years from now, and you're looking at that ticket, that price, um, you can just slide the reins on over to one Ayo Desumu. But this this is why you draft, and this is why you scout, and this is why you project, and this is why you develop. So Lonzo Ball seemingly out for the rest of this season, obviously regular season, and maybe for the playoffs because that reevaluation didn't go as well as everyone had hoped around the organization. Uh, they've played long enough without Lonzo. The, the carrot on the stick for Lonzo in terms of him reentering the fray was him being retested and reevaluated. And he couldn't, he couldn't pass some of those tests without some discomfort. So you put him on ice and you say, get better and get back for next year. But I, I think the Bulls are prepared because they have played so long without him. Now, are they better without him? Obviously not. And we've seen those deficiencies in containing pick and roll coverages, especially at the point of attack 
Lonzo Ball is pretty adept at doing that. And you can see the differences between he and Kobe White and Io DeSumo and some of the young players that they deploy in some of those defenses. So uh, a shot to the system, but one that was expected. And now the Bulls move off into playoff land, looking for whoever their opponent will be in the first round. The full goal with Jason Goff. That's all the time we have for episode 86 of the Full Go Podcast. Join us on Thursday as we recap opening day for the Sox and the Cubs. I want to thank my guest, Clinton Yates from ESPN, one of the coolest, dopest brothers I have had the pleasure of being around in this entire business. As always, as always, our production staff, the always active Jesse Lopez and hiding in the shadows, not even hiding, dominating the shadows, the shadowy figure himself, Steve Cerruti. Don't forget, you can hit us up on the Full Goal voicemail line at 773-359-3103. That's 773-359-3103. And I would like to say thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart to my main man, Chris Tannehill, who has been here for the first 86 episodes of this adventure. Uh, it is time that Chris moved on to greener much, much greener pastures. And I appreciate him. And I appreciate the launch. Uh, he is one of the better men, one of the better people that I've met in this business, along with my man, Clinton Yates. But Chris Tannehill is, is family. So, Tanny, I appreciate you so very much, man. We appreciate everything that you have done for the Full Go Podcast. All right. For Jesse Lopez and Steve Cerruti, I am Jason Goff, thanking you for everything that you do for this pod, whether you're downloading it, sharing it, subscribing to it, of course, listening to it, rating and reviewing it. We appreciate everything that you do. As always, we leave you with this. Take care of each other. Be safe. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.